Well, hello, Huda Thunkers. This is your host, Zeb of the Huda Thunkin Podcast, as always. This is Season 2, Episode 25, and I titled it Pigeons and People. I had a bunch of other titles that I thought of going with, but I went with this one, the most boring one, because it's the most accurate, it's the most general, and that is the most, like I said, accurate about what we'll be talking about. But before we get into the pigeons and the peoples, let's talk about the recommendation segment. This week's recommendation segment is for a show called Record of Ragnarok. Now, last week's recommendation segment was on Netflix's live-action drama about Norse Norse mythology. This week's recommendation has a similar title, but a very different plot. Record of Ragnarok is a brand new anime series with only 12 episodes in out that are out right now. I know anime is a super niche genre, but when I realized my fiance Shannon was enjoying the show just about as much as I was, I thought it was worth recommending. Unlike most anime series, Record of Ragnarok is has a super simple plot, so there's not like tons of intricate details. I mean, there's a lot of details, but the plot itself is pretty straightforward. Here it is. All the gods, Norse, Greek, Hindu, etc., all the gods that you know you and I know of and all the ones we don't have grown tired of humanity and want to wipe out to start fresh. They want to wipe us all out. But at the last second, before Zeus bangs his gavel, declaring all humanity be eliminated, a Valkyrie from Norse mythology suggests they have a tournament first side with seven victories wins now the gods pick their lineup of their 13 best warriors and humanity can pick from their best 13 warriors live or dead from all of history season one only covers the first three fights of the tournament and it's pretty awesome it is simple fun and definitely for adults due to the violence language and overt sexualization of aphrodite so adults only should watch that show it's pretty pretty awesome though pretty simple i put up a picture of one of the characters and the character is adam as in adam and eve he's one of the people picked for humanity and he fights zeus you know greek zeus and he's wearing nothing but a leaf for decency and brass knuckles it's pretty awesome pretty cool now for the main event pigeons and people pigeons are pretty annoying but the reason why we brought them over here is i found out of this out on joe rogan is we let them populate north america so people could eat them i think it's called squab or something like that you just eat pigeons they're edible they're everywhere and they're super easy to easy to catch because they're stupid um but they're not as stupid as you might think first part that we're going to get into is pigeons and world war ii yeah that's right if you have taken psychology a psychology course either in high school or college then you're definitely you've definitely heard of the renowned psychologist bf skinner we'll be talking about him a lot both parts of the both parts of this main event have to do with skinner Skinner was an American psychologist who studied and conducted experiments out of Harvard University. Early on, he worked on rats, uh, with rats, discovered that if the rats were given a treat every time they pressed a lever, they would press the lever progressively more and more and more. He called it operant conditioning. Operant conditioning, right? So Skinner applied his understanding of animal behavior in World War II, and this may sound like a made-up story, but it's very real. This time, instead of using rats, he used what some New Yorkers might call flying rats, the pigeon. How did pigeons play a role in World War II, you ask? Well, strap in. Um, Well, the Germans had created a modern marvel of destruction, the V-2 rocket. Um, I've just been playing a video game, Battlefield 5. It's about World War II, and the rocket is insane. It's this 
unbelievable massive destruction. It was developed in Germany from 1936 through the efforts of scientists led by Werner von Braun. The V-2 rocket was first successfully launched in October 3rd of 1942 and was first fired against Paris on September 6th of 1944. Soon after Germany's development in rocket technology, uh, most of the other players in World War II were slinging rockets of their own. While rockets proved to create a devastating amount of destruction, they seldom hit their mark. So pretty much anyone, the U.S., we had their own rocket technology not long after the uh, Germans, and it was um, pretty devastating. While the militaries of today use GPS-guided missiles, back in World War II, times they were about 30 years away from GPS technology, so they didn't have much to guide their missiles. Um, soldiers tasked with launching rockets had to use math to calculate the amount of fuel necessary, the angle the rocket should be launched, wind speed, and possible heavy weather encountered during the rocket's approach. So that's all calculated on the ground. Once it's launched, though, just better hope your math was good. Um, Alexa, stop. Now, <laughs> sorry, that's my laundry timer. Things happen. But I'm not going to do a second take. <laughs> and so that is a lot to calculate for a rocket to make its mark. As you might guess, the soldiers calculating trajectory on the ground were wrong quite a lot. Remember how I said the first V-2 rocket was launched at Paris in 1944? Well, quoting the Smithsonian's Air and Space Museum, quote, The rocket was neither accurate, reliable, nor cost-effective. On 7th of September 1944, the first two operational rockets were fired against Paris, but both failed due to premature cutoffs. So the first two rockets fired against an enemy by the Germans failed. <laughs> The very first two. So while rocket, rocket technology would take off in the years later, eventually being used to get mankind to the moon and space travel, you know, great rocket technology is great. When it first started, it was awful. While the Germans were deploying unreliable spies in London to report back on how accurate their rockets were to make them more accurate, the U.S. was coming up with more unorthodox ideas for missile guidance in uh Introducing Project Orcon, O-R-C-O-N. B.F. Skinner was confident that his operant conditioning research could be beneficial to the folks trying to guide missiles. Although many were skeptical of Skinner's plan, the National Defense Research Committee granted Skinner $25,000. That's 300, about three hundred twenty grand today in today's money. You see, similar to the rat pressing a liver to get a lever to get a treat a pigeon could be trained to peck a specified target in order to be fed you know there's there's a video on the blog you should check it out it, it shows this so you take a pigeon you put it in a controlled environment and you put a screen in front of it and you move a little target around and you basically anytime it pecks that target you feed it it's going to keep pecking that target, right? And that's what it's been trained to do. Skinner made the specified target into what the U.S. military needed to destroy enemy battleships out at sea. So instead of just putting a bullseye on there, he put a picture of a battleship and the pigeon would peck at the battleship and get fed, right? So now a pigeon is trained to always point out where a ship is. You see where this is going? He then strapped his trained pigeons inside the head of missiles with three screens that showed what the missile was currently aiming at. You know, there's an image on the on the uh, blog that you can check it out of this three-screened missile. Depending on which screen and where on the screen the pigeon pecked, the missile would direct course towards where the pecks were being registered by sensors installed in the screen. Yes, I'm not making this up. They put pigeons in missiles. So on paper, it was genius. Pigeons 
can process visual in information three times faster than humans and cost virtually nothing to produce. Once properly trained, the pigeons were extremely accurate and hardly ever missing their targets during simulated runs. Uh, but in October 1944, the project was scrapped. The Defense Department thought money was better spent elsewhere, like the Manhattan Project, aka the atomic bomb, which cost about $1.9 billion, which is, you know, $23 billion today. So while I said it was genius and they strapped him into missiles only in simulated runs, they never actually fired a missile. As far as we know, there might be classified documents,、uh, but they never fired a missile with this pigeon strapped in it. It was just simulated runs. But the fact that they, the National Defense <laughs> Committee, put money on this, actually invested in pigeon guided missiles. Blows my mind. So defense officials couldn't bring themselves to entrust billion-dollar rocket projects to pigeons, which I understand. But it, it, in theory, it worked out great. If they just would have let it happen, it probably would have worked. However, the atomic bomb seemed to work out fine. We end up winning, whatever. But Skinner himself said that the project was scrapped not because it didn't work, but because no one took them seriously. You know.、Uh, Animal psychologist was trying to come up with a day, an idea to guide missiles, and it just didn't pan out. We ended up winning anyway, like I said, with the atomic bomb.、Um, but、uh, Skinner's. So that's not the main reason I did the episode. I had a, a reason to begin with, but I was like, oh, that's not long enough to make a full episode. So I remembered about the、uh, missile guiding one. Thought, oh, that'd be cool. That and it brings me to the real reason I wanted to do this episode. You see, I've known about missile guiding pigeons for quite some time. I like to tell people about it while I'm out drinking and socializing. The topic is bizarre, exciting, and involve involves World War II. I love to talk about World War II over a few brews. But there was another experiment that Skinner conducted after the war that really intrigued me. I recently heard about Skinner's superstitious pigeons. I stumbled on an old video hosted by the esteemed evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins. In the video, Dawkins explains how Skinner's Skinner studied pigeons' behavior in 1947 after the war by placing them in a controlled environment, you know, rather a small transparent box, and feeding them whenever they pecked a button. You know, going back to operant condition, pretty simple: peck the button, get the food. But then Skinner set the feeding apparatus to feed the pigeon at random. Had nothing to do whether they hit the, the the button or not, whether pigeon pecked the button or not. It had no bearing on how often the food was dispensed. So you're thinking, okay, what did that create exactly? One,、um, one might think the pigeons just sat back and waited for their food to be given at random times, but that's not at all what happened. The vast majority of pigeons in the experiment developed what Skinner himself called superstitious behavior. An example would be that if a pigeon just happened to lift up its right wing when food was dispensed, then that pigeon associated the right wing lifting with food. So the result was that the pigeon just would continuously lift up its right wing over and over and over again until the food was dispensed, dispensed again, was given to them again. This behavior persisted and further enforced the pigeon's false association. So the pigeon lifted its wing randomly. Food was dispensed, and it thought, "Okay, I'm just going to keep doing that." So it just keeps lifting its wing until it's dispensed randomly again. They're like, "Oh, it's working! I'm just going to keep doing that." So he walked in, and while one pigeon was lifting its right wing, another pigeon was walking around in a circle. Another pigeon was looking over its left shoulder. They were all doing this like crazy just to get more food. Why? They just saw patterns in what they were doing, even though those patterns weren't really there. 
it was superstitious behavior. Now, what interests me is the implication of these superstitious behaviors and what it means about human behavior. If you think you can't be compared to a pigeon in this sense, you are wrong. We humans are subject to this superstitious behavior just as we are subject to operant conditioning. Just as the rats kept pressing the lever for food, give a patient suffering from pain a button that dispenses morphine into their bloodstream. It is only a matter of time until that Though they are pressing the button much more than necessary, sometimes to the point of overdose. Just like the rats pressed the lever until they kept getting food, food, food. Just as the pigeon displayed nonsensical behavior to be given food, the superstitious behavior, we humans perform all sorts of nonsensical rituals to avoid pain and obtain pleasure. Probably the main difference between humans and pigeons is the lengths that we humans will go to in our superstitious pursuits. Where pigeons simply make displays with their bodies, we humans create entire industries and institutions around our superstitious beliefs. Some examples of human superstitious behavior, what I say, is like tarot card reading. It's just a coincidence. Palm readings, you know, they're fun, but it's just a coincidence. Knocking on wood for good luck. Saying bless you when someone sneezes. Now, don't step on a, a crack or you'll break your mother's back. Black cats crossing your path. Don't walk under that ladder. Oh, you be careful with that mirror. If you break it up, bad luck for seven years. Now, you may think these examples I gave are for children or those more gullible or superstitious, but I would disagree. University of Iowa's psychology department provides a definition. Superstitious behaviors arise when the delivery of a reinforcer or punisher occurs close together in time, temporal contact contiguity with an independent behavior. Therefore, the behavior is accidentally reinforced or punished, increasing the likelihood of that behavior occurring again. I would argue superstition has invaded just about every facet of our society and given the chance could destroy it. I'll end this episode with an example. Remember the Salem witch trials? An entire town allowed themselves to be overtaken by superstition. By the end of the Salem witch trials, 19 people had been hanged and five others had died in custody. Additionally, a man was pressed beneath heavy stones until he died. Yep. I'm ending this caution I'm ending this this episode on a cautionary note. Don't allow yourselves to be overtaken by superstition. Build up your mental defenses against it by continuing to learn about the world around you. That's part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast. I like learning new things all the time so that I kind of have a general idea of what's going on and it's fun. Thanks for listening who to thunkers now. Quick disclaimer, I'm going on vacation to Jamaica and I will not be producing another episode of Who to Thunk It until about July 15th. So you're going to be missing out at least 2 weeks. Sorry, not sorry. I'll be enjoying I'll be enjoying genuine Jamaican jerk chicken and a hammock uh, overlooking the Caribbean Sea. So <laughs> thanks for listening. Catch you next week and uh bye who to thunkers.